Welcome to Bridges 2030 Visions with me, James Taylor. In this series, we ask experts and thought leaders from around the globe, how do we build a more sustainable and inclusive world in this decade and beyond? We've talked a lot in this series about the importance of unlocking big pools of institutional capital like pensions to invest in sustainability and impact. So this week we're going to focus on the mechanics of how this actually works with sustainable investment specialist Graham Cook. And when you make a commitment to be net zero, that's all very easy to say and that sounds like a clear objective, but behind that there are lots of sub-objectives that you need to be clear exactly how you're going to get to those. This is a, an industrial revolution, effectively, where carbon will largely disappear from the economy. And there are lots of opportunities that come along with that for those that embrace that change. And there are lots of risks for those that don't. Part of the, the barriers that we have as, as, as responsible investments is almost this reliance on past data. And we, we know the future will be very different. Graham was until recently the CIO of the Environment Agency Pension Fund, which is a long-time leader in sustainable investing. And he's just taken a new role as head of sustainable investments at the Phoenix Group, a FTSE 100 pensions and insurance business with about £300 billion in the management. Graham argues that investors need a little more courage if they're going to invest in a better future. So Graham, Bridges obviously got to know you during your previous role at the Environment Agency. Can you tell us a bit about how you ended up there? Was this an area that you always had an interest in? Absolutely. Um, I've been working for a while with uh, CFA on developing the um, certificate in in ESG investing. And it's an area that I had long had um, uh, an interest in in, in performing. But unfortunately, most of my career to that point have been very transactional and not one where this could be um, uh, integrated. And I got to know the LGPS and, and the Environment Agency over a period of time. And when the opportunity came up to lead the investment team there and actually start turning some of the, the great commitments they had and strategies they had into uh, investments, that was uh, an opportunity I couldn't really um, uh, uh, turn down. So what was the situation when you got to the EA? What were some of the issues that you were grappling with? Well, what, what, part of the situation, we were going through pooling at that time. All the LGPS funds had to join a pool and centrally manage their their investments through commingled vehicles going forward. So making sure that structure was right, right and there was a, a good alignment there um, was a large part of that. Um, but those commitments have been made and there needed to be more work done to actually fully realise those. One large part of that was our impact portfolio. So we had a $300 million allocation to private markets, what we call our targeted opportunities um, uh, portfolio. And that was set up, it's about 4 or 5% of, of EAPF's assets set up specifically to back innovative strategies that could move the dial in terms of um, environmental and, and, and social change. So can we talk a bit about some of the specifics of how you got from this overarching climate change commitment, zero commitment. How do you go from that to starting to think about how you construct a portfolio and then to making individual allocation decisions? Yeah, it's quite a a stepwise um, process. Um, And it's important to take your time over each of those steps to make sure you get them right. And the most important of those we found 
was having a really clear sense of what your objectives are. And when you make a commitment to be net zero, um, uh, for example, that's all very easy to say. And that, that, that sounds like a clear objective, but behind that, there are lots of sub objectives that you need to be clear exactly how you're going to get to those. So one of those is decarbonizing, but the other is actually moving the positive side to invest in climate solutions and promote those companies which are are doing particularly well um, on on those aspects. And and alongside that, you've got other supporting elements um, in in terms of how do you actually make sure that the way your portfolios are managed, your investments are managed, are aligned to your overall strategy. And one of the real barriers that we found um, at the EA, first of all, was that the benchmarks that we gave to our investment managers weren't at all aligned with the um, net zero investment strategy as a former fund manager myself. I know you never stray too far away from your benchmarks. So one of the first things that we did in in collaboration with Brunel, the the pool that um, uh, the Environment Agency was part of, was to develop Paris Align benchmarks. Um, And those um, essentially are are benchmarks that are aligned with getting to net zero by 2050. What were some of the benchmarks that you ended up having to reassess? One one of the benchmarks that we... um, uh, uh, we had a passive tracking to um, was the um, the MSCI low carbon um, index. When when it was set up, it was the best that you could do to be more sustainable. But effectively, it just had a relative decarbonisation target, but it always had fifty percent less carbon than the main index. So there was, you know, it was a low carbon, but it wasn't necessarily aligned with getting to net zero because net zero really requires you to decarbonize the actual portfolio rather than have your your levels driven by where the where the market was it also requires you to invest in climate solutions and to you know align the um, uh, entire portfolio and therefore when the eu um, prescribed the um, paris line benchmark criteria which set out all of these aspects and genuinely reflected an investment strategy or, or philosophy um, w- which got you to net zero. Those are the things that we wanted to um, uh, adapt to, again, tease out those companies which are performing really well, which we think will thrive in a post-carbon world, and to underweight those which are not adapting to the change. And how did the managers that you were working with respond to that? Were they? Was it hard to get this No, again, you know, one of the benefits of of working at the EA was that they'd had a long record of uh, responsible investment managers have been working with, you know, for decades on this area that weren't very popular at the time, that are suddenly very popular um, uh, right now, who were, you know, leaders in this and Bridges were, you know, one of those um, uh, uh, managers. When you already have a stable of managers which are on board with what you're trying to do, actually they reacted very positively when you know a benchmark that you were trying to track was actually one that aligned with what they really um, wanted to do. Clearly, the EA has a long track record in this area. Was it difficult to bring along some of your pooling partners with you? I think that was right at the start, but actually, you know, one of the really pleasing things. Um, of being part of that pool for the four years um, that I was at the the Environment Agency 
was seeing others come along the journey that we'd been along a few years earlier. There was great leadership from Faith Ward um, within Brunel uh, on, on responsible investment. So, you know, in combination with the expertise that we had and, and, and managed to share with, with, with our partners within Brunel and that leadership that Brunel had, um, we actually saw a kind of um, closing of the of the pack, as it were, and actually other funds actually challenging the EA um, uh, PF about you know how forward thinking they were and can you go that little bit further, which was really refreshing, <laughs> I have to say. You're listening to Bridges 2030 Visions, a series about how we accelerate progress towards a more sustainable and inclusive world over the next decade. What were the most effective arguments? The science that that we have now, um, and I think the the overwhelming change in consumer um, uh, uh, preferences on this, and 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 the preferences of of members, was as big a, a thrust as uh, as any that that we could um, make. I think that, that that understanding almost that inevitably we're going to move to a post-carbon world and we need to actually adapt. This is a an industrial revolution effectively um, happening now where you know carbon will largely disappear from the economy. And there are lots of opportunities that come along with that for those that embrace that change. And there are lots of risks for those that don't. And I think some of what we've done at the EA in, in actually having a track record um, of, of, of these strategies been successful was helpful in getting others to come along on that journey as well. One of the things that we always had to battle was this really outdated um, uh, theory that in order to do good, um, you had to give up returns. And I think, you know, partly because of the way that society has been changing and wanting more purpose from the companies that they that they deal with. Um, Actually, that's just not true. In fact, you're more at risk if you don't have purpose. And the other objectives that we had was financing the transition. As, as a pension fund and for, for, for many large institutional investors, the, you have a large element of, of bonds, which are effectively debt financing that you're providing to companies. So actually having a, a, a commitment for some of that funding that you provide to be to finance the transition. So those companies that want to move to a more sustainable model, given the the helping them finance the capex, etc., you need to actually move to that model was really important for us and, and financing sustainable um, uh, companies. And the other one was to invest in climate solutions and to embrace innovation. And actually, you know, an unstated target, but one that was you know, widely supported was to try and back innovative managers in order that they could demonstrate the proof of concept that you know sustainable investment can generate really good top tier returns and hopefully those strategies become more mainstream and unless you get those first funds off the ground and they prove that concept it's very difficult for them to become mainstream because we have i think you know part of the the barriers that we have as as responsible investments is is almost this reliance on past data and we we know the future will be very different so strategies that might not have worked like battery storage etc or electric vehicles 
all the stars weren't aligned in the way they are right now. You know, my prediction for electric vehicles is an uncontroversial one that we're at a tipping point now where they will actually just become, you know, the the the, the norm. That wasn't the case five or ten years ago. And if you're looking for data to prove that you know investing in electric vehicles you know, works, well, it was completely different circumstances in terms of cost parity, market share. Um, uh, infrastructures, you know, much better now in terms of charging points, etc. So you can't rely on that data. We need as an industry to move much more towards pathways and look into the future and where the economy is moving and where the opportunities are to define our investments. Because none of us invest in the past. We all get, you know, those comfort blankets from sort of proving it's worked in the past, but you can't invest in the past. You can only invest um, in the future, and we need to be thinking much more about what the future holds and where an investment lies in the future. That, that feels like a big of... mindset shift for portfolio managers. How do you go about getting them to think differently? That, that's it, it is really difficult. I mean, what, what everybody needs is a little more courage, um, uh, really. And my, 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 I would include myself in this along with you know many of the professionals. Sometimes you can be a little overwhelmed by your career risk and not wanting to take that extra risk. And sometimes we just, if we really believe that this can work, to actually just back you know the really good opportunities when we when we see them. Largely, it leads on those which have have had the courage to actually make those investments to sort of do that and and uh, allow others to to see that and, and come in later. But it is it is really difficult. I think sometimes we just need a little bit more more courage in in our convictions. Can we talk about the climate solutions, the natural capital? How important is that, and what were some of the things that you were investing in there? Yeah, natural capital is really important. The connection between um, climate and nature is is completely inextricable, and we'll we'll never get to a net zero world if we continue destroying you know the most um, efficient and abundant asset that we have to 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 combat climate change. And so that was a very important part of of, of what we did at the Environment Agency. We we actually one of my last acts as as CIO um, was to um, get approved a proposal to make a um, uh, an allocation to natural capital within the strategic asset allocation. So as an asset class, 4% was committed to natural capital. And on a risk-adjusted returns basis, the, these investments can be incredibly um, uh, uh, attractive. One of the things that we invested in um, was sustainable forestry. And I think the, the, the key with, with sustainable um, uh, forestry is... Um, is really getting the right trees and that grow at the right pace. So if you can get fast-growing trees in 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 a, in a um, environment which really suit them, on land which is really cheap, you can actually have really good return um, uh, profiles um, uh, coming from that. And so one of the things that the um, environment agency was invest in a plantation in Paraguay, fast-growing trees on such cheap land actually was enough to to, to make um, a, a very profitable um, business. So thinking about them really carefully, we've all heard of the the, the instances of digging up peat bogs and planting trees um, and the, the ridiculousness of it. But there are really strong um, uh, and, and attractive opportunities out there if you find the right opportunities in the right place. So are there any policy levers you think could be helpful? If you were prime minister for a day or a year, 
what would you do that you think could really create a step change? Well, step changes are um, are always quite difficult. There, I think a carbon tax and you know a, a proper um, uh, uh, explicit carbon tax would be, and one globally. So the the answer to solving most of of the problems that we have within our economy is externalities. You know those costs which aren't borne by those that actually um, uh, produce the the cost. When we actually bring those internal and people are held accountable, or they have to pay for those. Um, those actually solve those problems uh, almost overnight. So can we talk about your new role at Phoenix? What was the attraction of that and how are you trying to apply some of the lessons that you've learned? So I, I, I recently joined Phoenix Group and I work within the sustainable investments team there and I lead our efforts on sustainable investment strategy. Phoenix, um, for, for many people, is, a, is an unknown name. They're a FTSE 100 company and the largest um, life um, uh, workplace pensions and life assurance company in the uh, UK, managing about 300 billion and, 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 and provide a, a pension for a quarter of the UK adult population. So of, of a great scale. And, you know, what, one of the attractions of, of, of going there was to take you know, the groundbreaking work that I'd learned at the EA, take that and apply it to on a, on a larger scale, almost 100 times larger um, than we had at the Environment Agency to create change for a much larger group of people. And it's actually based on very simple investment principles about being very clear about the objectives that you're setting, understanding the constraints that you operate and the risks that you're you're trying to manage. And then our standard last question how optimistic are you that we can make this shift happen at the speed that we need it to happen? If you'd asked me two years ago after uh, COP26, then I, I, I would have been really confident. I, I do believe that we need much more support from government. There's a lot more in the, in, 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 um, the environment and, and the policy space that can be much more supportive to help along um, uh, the transition and help investors. I do feel that until we reach almost, we're staring into the abyss, we won't have the rapid amount of, of um, decarbonisation that we need. I think we might overshoot. In my, my honesty is, I think at some point over the next decade or so, we are likely to go above one and a half degrees. I think maybe that's the catalyst as we approach that and, and we see more of the physical risk that we've been seeing lately in floods and storms and fires that actually we might actually then suddenly accelerate. And I think we will get there in the end. And humanity has a way of always finding a solution to the biggest problems. But I think we might, it, it will get very tense. I wish I could be much more optimistic than that. I do think we'll get there, but I think it'll it it, it, it will be very stressful. You've been listening to Bridges 2030 Visions with me, James Taylor. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, why not like, subscribe, share, download extra episodes, or even leave us a nice five-star review somewhere. Thanks for joining us.